Amen. Well, grab hold of a Bible, and if you would, make your way to the book of 3 John. 3 John, that's where we are this morning. Uh, we've been working through the letters of John. We've done 1 John, 2 John. This morning, we began 3 John, and we're excited just to kind of journey our way through that. So if you have a Bible and you're opening it up, well done. If you don't have one, there's chairs in front of you. with a. Uh, you can grab one of the Bibles from there. Uh, just grabbing one out. Uh, page numbers on the screen. Love to have you kind of be there with us. Uh, if you're opening up an electronic device, you can do that as well, one way or the other. Uh, wanting just to invite you to be in the Word of God. Now, that's true for everybody here in the sanctuary, but if you're joining us online or you're in our overflow, same invitation. Grab a copy of the Scriptures so that God would meet you this day in His Word, wanting it to be that way. With that as a name, I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you would take a moment and pray with me that you would ask that God would take this moment, this time, and help you to hear what he would have for you, that he would give you today that which what he would speak to you from his word. And so let's ask him together for that and ask that he meet us. God, we are here today, and you know us. You know every one of us. You know us perfectly. You know us better than we know ourselves. I love that reality and into that reality. I love that you are a God who is speaking I thank you for your word. I thank you that everything necessary for life and godliness, you have given us there. I thank you for the power of your word to change and transform. So now would you take your word, perfect and powerful, and connect it into our lives that you know so well. Would you take this morning and make it connect? I can't do that. I'm incapable, but you can do that in ways I could never even fathom. I believe that. So give us ears to hear what you'd say to us this morning. Help us. Give us just the ability to hear you and you to speak into this moment through your word. We ask for that together. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So four guys walk into a church. Okay, just kidding. It's not actually like a bad joke. Like some of you are like, okay, that's how the jokes began. No, actually, we're diving into 3 John and it's about four guys. Yeah, four men are being displayed for us, and it would seem clear that part of the intention of, of Third John is to help you and I kind of look at their lives as examples, look at their lives and seeing that. We're going to see four different types of men that are in the church that he's writing to then, and maybe, maybe in every church, uh, these four types can be found in spaces, spaces where we need to see them and understand them, and at times God moves us, uh, growing us by by putting people's lives before us, certainly I think that's where Third John lies. Four men that we're going to see in this book, we're going to see the elder, the exemplary elder that we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about Gaius, the godly Gaius. We're going to meet a man named Diotrephes. He's rather dictatorial. And then lastly, we'll see Demetrius, this godly, just devout Demetrius. And each one of these lives, I believe, are placed here in 3 John in a way that would draw us and move us. And so we're going to spend a few weeks uh, here in 3 John just doing that, seeing these lives. With that as a name, we're going to begin this morning by looking at the exemplary elder. Oh, we also know him as John. John, well, yeah, we call it Third John, right? That is because John, uh, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, writes this. He writes First John, Second John, Third John, and the book of John, or the gospel of John, and he's the one that is here writing. 
Now, his life is a fascinating one, and I just want to pause and say, hey, we're kind of in the middle of this because we started 1 John uh, last year, and if you missed that, and some of you did, hey, it's a beauty of a technological age. Can I just take a moment and say, if you want to get an overview of his life, you might want to go back. It was a year ago we did a a study called Meet John the Apostle. Um, You can find it on our website. You can go on YouTube just, you know, search for that, meet the apostle, John the Apostle, and, and you'll be able to kind of watch this and see an overview of this man's life that we get both in Scripture and history. I think that would be a good background for you, and again, just give that as an encouragement that we're not going to die into all of that this morning. Instead, we want to step into this moment where he writes this letter, and it's worth just noting how he begins it. So you got your Bibles there, Third John, you see how it begins. It simply says it this way, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. The elder. Yeah, that's how he begins. That's how he introduces himself. And that's what we want to think about for a few moments. This description that he gives us there, the elder. Well, let's just be straight up and honest. It is also a term that means older. Elder literally is a term that can mean elderly man or an older man that is in the midst of that. And I want to hold it before you that that's exactly what we find right now in John. In fact, think about it this way. Probably at the time that he writes this letter, all the other apostles have died. Yeah, so John is a disciple. He's called as a young man to be a follower of Jesus. You know, you get that in the Gospels that he serves and, and, and spends those three years as a, you know, walking alongside Jesus. He is called by Jesus to be an apostle, to be one of the 12 that would represent uh, the kingdom after Jesus dies, and, and, and he does. But John watches each and every one of those other apostles die. All the other apostles, they die a martyr's death. In fact, scripturally, we know that the first of the apostles to die was John's brother. Yeah, it gives it to us in the book of Acts, in Acts 12. It says, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Yeah, just let that land for a moment. Like the first one, the first one to die, it was his brother. Not only a fellow apostle was his brother, John would be a part of that. He would see that happen. He would see that take place. And then he would literally watch the rest die as well. History records that all the other apostles die a martyr's death. John goes through trouble, but it's not the road that he rides. Again, if we take church history, again, not all of this is unpacked for us in Scripture, but church history gives us an accounting of it that lets us know that persecution breaks out there in Jerusalem. We get that. In Acts 8, the church is scattered. Eventually, the apostles themselves are scattered. Uh, They begin taking the gospel into the rest of the world. History lets us know that John ends up in Ephesus, up in Asia, uh, being able to influence the church that's in the midst of that. Tertullian, the early church historian, tells us that John was actually boiled in oil as an attempt to kill him, and he survives. Again, it's not scripturally, so I don't know for sure, but it's a pretty crazy story. But when that doesn't work, it lets us know that not only because they couldn't kill him, they end up exiling him. They send him off to a penal colony on an island called Patmos, which is where John gets the book of Revelation. In fact, he introduces that in the book of Revelation, says that while he was there, uh, you know, in this little penal colony on this island, God meets him and he unpacks for us this incredible end of the story. It's a great space. But history goes on to tell us that John is released. And he spends the last of his years back in Ephesus. History lets us know that really that John dies around 98 AD. So I just want you to think about that for a moment. 
I just want you to kind of process, you know, this whole space and, and watching this whole thing take place. And I want to just be really, really clear kind of where I'm aiming and, and, and what I'm intending. Yeah, this is exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this space where John finds himself, if I can say it in the most simple way, older. Older, yeah, in that. Let me give you a verse that I want to be, in many ways, one that will surround our thoughts this morning. In Psalm 92, it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. That if you're planted, if you're rooted in God, if your life is found seated and, and grounded in God's presence, he goes on to say, They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. So I just want to be really clear. This is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about this space of old age. We want to talk about this place where even in old age, our life can still bear fruit and can be fresh and flourishing. And I just want to make sure I'm aiming right there and letting you know that we're aiming right there and we can talk about it. Now, as we talk about it, let's think about it this way. For some of you, let's just kind of be honest, like you're there. Okay, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like, like, but you just know. Like when somebody in this room right now is they're thinking about older people, they're like, yeah, them. I mean, just no, nobody's pointing right now and just not trying to say that. But if that's you and you kind of find yourself in that space, it's worth just kind of saying, yeah, okay, I think that's probably me. Others of you, that's not where you are, but you're almost there. I mean, you're, we're kind of in that stage of like, huh, I think that's the next section of my life. You know, I mean, I kind of, I'm heading towards this journey that pretty soon I'm going to be the old guy. You know, I'm going to be the old gal in the midst of that. That's, that's, that's going to be where I go. And so this morning is going to speak to us as we kind of head towards that space. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, Jim, I'm so far from that. Like, I'm just, I'm young. Like, this, this is not a message that has anything to do with me. Well, I want to say it does. Everything we're going to talk about this morning is true for you now is meant to be true for you now, but the goal is that it will continue to be true as long as you live. And if that's a long way, then that's great, but it needs to be in place now. Now again, for some of you, you understand this because it's an interesting thing. For some of you that you don't think you're old, you're getting ready for it. I mean, some of you have your 401ks, you got your IRAs, you kind of got your retirement plan. Some of you are like, man, I'm going to retire at this age. I mean, you have thought it through physically. But I'm just asking, have you thought it through spiritually? Have you thought through, so what is that going to look like for me? What are the days ahead of me look like? I mean, I mean, even if you haven't thought about it, I'm just telling you if, you, if you have a job, you are paying Social Security, like 15% of your income right now. I mean, some of you are like, well, it's not going to be where there when I get older. Well, probably, maybe not. But you're still kind of investing into it. I mean, there's still something every day of your life is, is kind of lived inside of this. And there ought to be a way that you're saying, okay, I, what is that going to look like for me? What is this road? What is this journey on? And I want to hold out to you this promise from Psalm 92, 14, that, that they should still bear fruit in old age, that all the days of your life, there can be purpose, significance. There can be a point that God would be working through your life. And top of it, he says, there's a place where you can be fresh, you can be flourishing, and that can happen even into old age. Now, again, just to be clear, we want that happening at all of our life. I mean, there's those ways of saying, well, I'd like to be bearing fruit and fresh and flourishing. That sounds good for me today. It is. But it can be. It ought to be true for all of us. And so John is held out before us as a man who's there. So we don't know exactly when he wrote this letter. The letter of Third John uh, is the smallest 
uh, letter in the New Testament. So it's the smallest section of scripture that, that we have here. And we don't know exactly what it's written, but church historians and Bible students kind of put it in that last section of his life, maybe after the book of Revelation. If not, it was right before, but possibly after. Now, we don't know how old John was when he became a disciple of Jesus. He might have been the same age. So if that's true, when he writes this letter, he's either in his late 80s or 90s. If he was five or 10 years younger than that, possibly, that would put him, again, still in his early 90s, late 80s, you know, kind of in a space where he sits down and writes a letter that you're getting to read. And and in that, I'm telling you that part of it is not just to hear what he's saying, but to watch him saying it. And to watch his life is a space that would be held out to us as a godly example, because John is, at this moment, is the older guy. He is the elder. Well, we look at that, so older is part of being elder, but it's also clear to make sure that we notice that to be an elder, biblically, and even historic at that moment, it was a term of respect. It was a term even for leadership. So in the Jewish community uh, and in the early church, they would use this term elder. Sometimes it applied to people who had, you know, actual, you know, pastorally positions. And they'd say, okay, that's what you are. Other times it was just people that were highly respected uh, within the community. And they would say, okay, you're, you're one that is one of those pillars. You're one of those ones who's our, our strength into the midst of this. So it communicates respect. It communicates honor that would be there. And as I'm telling you that, well, maybe we just need to say it this way. Growing older doesn't necessarily make you wiser. I know that's what we say, right? I mean, somebody has a birthday and you're like, hey, another year older, another year wiser. Well, a year older is certain. You know, wiser, not necessarily a promise. It can go the other way. In fact, I think about it this way as we think about how that works and people who go there, that they doesn't make them wise, righteous, or respected as some kind of automatic thing when you get older. In Proverbs, Solomon tells it to us this way. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the right way of righteousness. He said, if you can see somebody and, and their hair is changing color and it's turning gray and it's turning silver, you know, that can be a crown. That can be a crown of honor, but only if they're found in the way of righteousness. Only if, in that sense, that marked into that age has become a place where you're watching them do it well, you're watching them do life well, you're watching them walk in the midst of that. And I want to hold out to you, that's what John was. That's what John was. I mean, early church historians let us know that John had kind of moved into just this level of respect that just to have him present, you know, then they just, you know, even later in his life, helping him get into a room and, and sometimes not able to speak overly, you know, greatly, but just his presence was, was, was impacting because of his godly influence. And there is a space of looking at that, and I'm wanting to tell you that's a worthy aim and a worthy goal. Think about it this way. If you see it as I do, there ought to be a sense that you grow in wisdom now. The only way to get into this place where you can be there, to be one who is honored, is to be one who is respected, is to grow in that. And if I can give it to you in the most simple way, that's the book you're holding in your hand. God tells us that if we would pay attention to this book, this is our wisdom. This is our source. This is that which makes us wise for life and wise for salvation. And I just want to speak to every single one of you right now. Do you want that? Do you want to be somebody who's wise? Do you want to be somebody that's like knowing how to handle life well and walk in life well? 
then I hold this book before you, that you ought to be a person of this book. It ought to be there so that you could look at it and say, you know, as much time as I have in my life left, I want it to be found in this book. I mean, we live in a generation where, you know, to be quite honest, uh, it, it's become more rare than it ought to be. That in many spaces, there are a lot of Christians who have not read even the whole Bible yet. And not saying that is a term of condemnation. I'm just telling you, it ought not be so. I mean, it's not that you, you, could, it, it, you can do it. This isn't undoable. It's not like God put a library in front of you with a thousand books. He gave you one you could read right here. It's doable. You ought to make it a goal to read it and then read it again and then read it again and then read it again, and then read it again. It would be a worthy goal to read it every single year. And one of the things that would happen if you would do that, by just the, 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 the sheer nature of the power of the Word of God, is that God says, this would be your wisdom. Like, people would look at you and think, wow, you're like wise. And you'd be like, no, I just <laughs> I read the book. You know, it's just, I read the book, and, and it's changing my life. And there's a space of that that I just want to hold out for a moment and say, I don't know if that's how you see where your life is going. I don't know how it is when you, if you think, okay, if God does give you, you know, whatever many years there are left, you know, whether they be decades or, you know, and, or, or just years, I don't know how you want to see that, but I know I want to be that one that would say, okay, there's someone who's doing this well, is walking this out, and someone that you say, I'd like to hear what they have to say. I'd like to hear their wisdom. Boy, they seem to have walked through some stuff, and they're, they're handling it well. I want to be that kind of person, and John is able to step towards that just in this term, elder. So elder is a term for being older. Elder is a term for being respected. But elder is also this really interesting term, the way that John uses it here, that is a mark of his humility. Now, we spent time a year ago when I did that overview of John's life talking about this, so if you do go back and see it, uh, watch it or catch it, you'll get more of this. But One of the interesting things to think through for a moment right now is just the way that John does this, that when he introduces himself here in this letter of 3 John, he does it so short. I mean, he says so little. He just says the elder, and it becomes this incredible mark of being humble. Now, as I hold this before you, I just want to tell you That wasn't always true for John. I mean, he was not always so self-effacing. In fact, if you've read through the scriptures, you know it. We go back into the Gospels, and in Mark chapter 10, you get this crazy account when James and John, that's our John, that's the guy, the, uh, the disciple, the apostle, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, you probably don't need this piece of advice, but parents, can I just tell you, like if your kids come to you and say, if I ask you a question, will you say yes before I ask it? Like, I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to do whatever I'm about to ask you. I just want you to say yes. I mean, you probably don't need this little piece of advice, parental advice, but you should just be like, okay, I'm on my guard now. Like, that's just, you know, it's just if you're not going to ask me the question, you know, I just, I, I know this is probably going in a weird way. Well, that's what they do. But Jesus is very kind. He's very gracious. So he just asks them. I said, so what is it you'd like me to do for you? Well, you know, you're asking, so I'm just asking, what, what would you like me to do for you? And so they said to him, well, would you grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory? We just want to be the two most important people in all of eternity. How's that? Like, like, in all of heaven, we want to sit right at your side. We want to be more important than anybody else in the world. We're not asking for much, you know, kind of deal. I mean, it's just crazy self just kind of pushing, kind of pushing yourself into the limelight. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Now, if that's uncomfortable for you, I just want to tell you, if you read the Gospels, you'll find out all the disciples struggle with this. 
All the disciples struggled with this. And if we could be so honest, all people do. We struggle with pride. We struggle with kind of self-exaltation, this place where we want to push ourselves into the limelight. It is something everybody has to deal with. But John changes. So whatever is happening here in his life, it becomes something he grows out of. No longer in this place of self-exalting, no longer in this place of, of pushing himself forward. Here we have his introduction, and it is simple. It is humble. It is not self-promoting. In fact, if you can kind of catch it, he doesn't even mention his name. He doesn't even mention his name. He doesn't do it in 3 John. He doesn't do it in 2 John. He doesn't do it in 1 John. He doesn't do it in the Gospel of John. Never once in any of those letters does he mention actually even his own name. Now, in the Gospel of John, he does have to mention him because he's part of the story, but when he does so, he does so with this really cool reference. He's like, and there's this guy that Jesus loves. And some people want to see that as a, as a mark of exaltation. I'll say it's a mark of humility. Because I think he's like, I, you know, there's just, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> Who are you? I'm, I'm just a guy that Jesus loves. You don't even have to know my name. Like, I don't even have to have my name recorded once. I mean, he is an author of a good section of the New Testament, and he doesn't even mention himself one time by name. He just, so he writes this letter, and he's just like, I'm just the elder. Like, that's all you need to know. I mean, he could have so easily at this moment pushed himself forward. He's not doing that. In fact, instead of that, not only does he not mention his name, he doesn't mention any of his accolades. I mean, you understand how this works, right? Where you've been there, right? Maybe you've been at some banquet or something where somebody's talking and so they're going to introduce the speaker and so they begin to just list off their accomplishments. You know, yeah, this is so and so and they got 16,000 awards and, you know, they shook the president's hand and, and, and you know, they've written 14,000 books and, and they are so well known and they kind of go on and on. And again, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's good to kind of hear what things that God has done. I'm not saying it's always a bad thing, but it's always kind of an interesting thing to think, well, what a weird space. And it's just not what John does. I mean, if anybody could have done it, could it not have been John? I mean, couldn't he have began this letter and say, this is John, the only living apostle. Like, they're all dead, I'm alive. <laughs> like, I was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. John, the guy who was there at the, at the time when Jesus died on the cross. I was there when he rose. I mean, I'm like the only guy. I was a pillar of the New Testament church. I was, I mean, he could have listed his just story. I mean, it could have been great. I mean, it could have been this whole thing, but he doesn't. I mean, he just writes this letter. He's like, the elder, the elder. And I don't know where that lands for you, but I'm telling you where it lands for me. It's this beautiful picture of humility, and humility is a beautiful thing. Humility, godly humility, is this beautiful thing that is so different than the world. This place where it's just not about us. Now, I hope this quickly before you, and I just want to remind you that biblical humility is this beautiful thing that in many ways is really this lack of self kind of just kind of putting yourself forward. I think C.S. Lewis in one of his books had given a quote that basically said, you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself. See, sometimes I just need to say this because we get it wrong. I mean, sometimes you're here, and when I say humility, for a few of you, you have a view of humility that's not a biblical humility. So we think about humble, and we meet somebody that spends all of their time um, talking about how bad they are. Yeah, I never did shake the president's hand. I didn't write 14,000 books, and I've never known anything, and I'm so, you know, I'm so, and, and you spend, and you, but you still listen to them. If you're to be quite honest, they're still the focus, 
I mean, it's still like, you know, you know, it's just kind of the opposite image of it. That's not humility. Humility, biblically, is in a place where I'm not even thinking about me. I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about other people. It's this marked humility that is when it's there, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's attractive. And I find that in John. I think about in the book of James, he would tell it to us this way, quoting out of Proverbs, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He quotes here out of the book of Proverbs, but if I can say it in a very simple way, it's found all the way across Scripture. This is one of those just foundational principles that God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. When someone's proud, he resists it, the humble he lifts up. And if I can put it to you in the most simple way, that's who he is. I don't know, I'm just going to guess that you coming to church this morning, you were not coming here to say, I would like God to resist me. I'd like God to fight me. That sounds like a great idea. Well, I'm just telling you, do pride, and that's exactly what you'll get. Make life about you, make you the center of the world, make it all about you. And God says, I'm, I don't, it's not that I just dislike that, I hate it. He says, pride is one of his most hated sins. And he says, I fight it. I will fight it. You, you exalt yourself, I'm going to have to fight you. But if you could humble yourself, if you could come in and say, it's not about me. I am not the center of the world. I, it, it's not all about who I am. In fact, he goes on there in James and simply says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I mean, you just come and say, God, I'm gonna do this and, and walk in this. And I hold that to you as a beautiful picture. And for me, stepping towards this study in Third John, I'm just telling you what it is for me. And if it is for anybody else, if I'm making this clear, it's so beautiful. It's like, oh, John. I like you. I, mean, this is, this is, I like what God is in you. I love this picture of humility. It, it becomes this place that is attractive in, in a way that would say, okay, that's godliness and that's goodness. And, and all by itself, it's a good introduction. It's a good kind of beginning into the man that you and I are getting to see this morning. So John is an older man now. That's obviously clear. Hopefully he made that clear. He's respected, but he's marked with humility. So that's how the letter begins. That's kind of this introduction of who he is. What else do we see in this letter? Well, again, we're going to work our way through this letter over the next few weeks. But again, part of the point is just to watch what that looks like. So what does this godly man look like? What is it here in this letter that is found here in this letter that that he's doing that would maybe be a good example for our lives today and every day until God takes us home? Well, there's a few things that we find here. The first one I want you to understand is that he is a man who is loving. I mean, and when I say loving, he's loving God's people. He's loving what God is doing. Notice with me how it began there in verse 1 again. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Yeah. So he just kind of begins saying, you are are loved, Gaius, and I love you so much. I, I really, really do. It might be helpful just to pause, and as I think about this, I want to put it to you this way, that as he's writing this, as he's saying, you know, you, you know this beloved one, the one whom I love, the ones he's writing to are the next generation of believers, or the generation even after that, possibly. Again, John is an older man now. He's in his 80s to 90s, and if I can just, again, help you to think it through, Everybody that he knew, everybody that was a part of that early stage of Christianity, they're gone. And I want to just talk about this honestly, and again, maybe uh, something that we understand, and, and some of you will understand this more. See, some of you are in that space. 
You, you are getting older. And you understand it in ways that other people probably don't as much. But for some of you, you know more people in heaven than you do on earth. You're like, well, yeah, it's like I, it's people that I was with, people that I loved, people I served with, they're gone. They're already with Jesus. They're, they, they've, 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 kind of, they've moved on to the next, you know, they're with Christ. And, and so, so many people that you've loved and known and served with and lived with, they're, they're, they're with him. And yet some of the challenge then is to be those who would be able to embrace and love and step towards that next generation. I mean, these are the ones that John would actually say, they're like his children. Notice what he says there in verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. It's a great passage. It's a great one that probably has great application into parents. I think it would be true for any physical parent, but John is probably speaking here not physically, but spiritually. And it's an interesting thing that he's able to look at these who are serving Christ after him. He says, like, I see you like my children, but catch this. Just feel the weight of it. He says it this way in verse 3. He says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. And then he says it again, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I want to hold John out to you as an example, that here he is, and, and, he, and he's writing it in the most authentic way, he's writing it in a beautiful way, he's looking at what God is doing, he's looking at Gaius, he's looking at this next generation of believers, and, and he says this this way, where he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that you're walking in truth. I would like you to think about just the honesty of that for a moment. And if I can maybe just turn this around for a second, what brings you joy? What, what, what would you say, okay, this is that which excites me as much as anything excites me. I mean, when I hear this, that makes me happy. That makes me feel joy. Well, for John, it was hearing what God was doing in other people, hearing what God was doing in this next generation, hearing what God was working in the midst of that. And there's a space that there's a place for us to be those who are living in this present moment and loving what God is doing now. So I give that to you. Think about it this way. Let me give you a verse out of the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us, do not say, why were the former days better than these? He says, you are not concerned, you know, inquiring wisely concerning this. Hey, this is really good practical advice, and I just need you to hear it. There's a danger. There's a danger at times to getting older that sometimes you can live in the past, that you can find, say, boy, it was so much better. It was so much better in days past. It was so much better. Like, those were better days than these days. Why were those days so much better? And instead of saying, that's just, there's, there's a lack of wisdom. There's a lack of being present. There's a lack of that reality that he's just calling us to. And, and part of that would be to say, okay, are you, if, if you're alive today, and you are because you're listening to me, then God is longing for you to be engaged in what he's doing today. We're not just here to be those who remember what he did in the past. We're here to be involved in what is in the present. And John is doing this in a beautiful way, that he is able to engage and be a part of what's happening in the world at that moment and find his joy in that. And again, maybe that just makes sense. Maybe I'm making you know, all the sense I need to, but I want to take just a couple more moments on it and just tell you where it is for me. See, 
I get to pastor this church. I love doing that. And part of the joy is I get to sometimes be a part of other movements. I get to hear. And so I get phone calls or video calls or get to visit with other pastors. And it's fun uh, just to get together with other pastors. But there's an interesting dynamic in this phase of, you know, the Calvary Chapel movement or uh, in this phase that sometimes we can get together with other people. And for some of the people, they can spend all their time talking about the past. Yeah, like the Jesus movement, that was amazing. Like the 60s and this, you know, revolution that shook the world. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's good. And it's, it's glorious to be able to look back at what God does. But sometimes it is almost this place of like, yeah, these days stink. You know, those days were the good days. I mean, like that's when Jesus was moving, not today. And I'm just telling you, that's exactly what Solomon says. What are you doing? That is not wise. You can't see it clearly, and you're not where you are. John isn't doing that. I mean, if anybody, again, could have done it, he could have written this letter of 3 John and be like, oh, I remember the days walking with Jesus. They were good days. These days aren't so much fun. You know, I remember the days of the book of Acts. I mean, I was there. I mean, and he doesn't. He is fully present. Everything he writes in this moment is that, and when he finds his joy, it is there. It is in what God is doing in this moment. And I don't know if that looks like you. Maybe it does. Maybe you're here this morning and say, that's me. You know, I mean, yeah, I can look back and see things that God did, but I'm, I'm excited that Jesus is still moving. I'm excited that people are getting saved. I'm, I'm excited to hear of things that are happening around the world. I know that God is still good, and, and I want to be in this moment. I want to love what God is doing today. I want to be there. And there's an invitation that's there. You know, again, for me, I have this like image. I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that people come around me as I get older and then I just live, you know, all my days and the days gone by. Yeah, those good old days. Those were the good days. Like, I want to be present. I want to be like, so what's God doing now? Like, what's he doing now? And, and, and I want to be excited about it. I want to find my joy not living in the past, but living in the present. I want to find my joy in what God is doing now and, and, and say, hey, that's what John's doing. He says, I have no greater joy than that. And I just hold out to you. I believe he's, you know, this scripture, I think he's writing honestly. It's like my joy is there. John's a good example of that. And it's a good invitation for us that would be true as we grow older, but it's true today for every single person here to be present in this moment, to be present where we are and say, God, I want to see what you're doing now. I want to love what you're doing now and I want to be a part of it. John does that by embracing it. He just does that by loving, and that love that he has does a few things. So notice what he says as he kind of looks out, you know, in the midst of this, and he, and he, and he writes this. Go back to verse 2 for a moment. He says, beloved. So again, just communicating this love. Like, I love you. You are loved. I pray that you may prosper in all things and, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Hey, we'll talk about that specific request next week, but I just want to pause and say, did you notice what he's doing? It's like, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. I, I, I am being that one who is that. John is actually and, and practically praying for them. And it's worth me just pausing and taking this as a moment of encouragement and exhortation. I don't know if you believe it. I wish you would. I, I wish I could convince you. I wish I could tell you right now that your most powerful moments now they are the moments that you connect with God, that there's a space that prayer is the greatest investment that we can make into the lives of others. There's no, I mean, if, if God is God, and he is, 
And if he's as good as he says he is, and he is, and if he answers prayer, then you have more powerful there, prayer, you have more power there than you do anywhere else. You have more powerful tapping into believing in God and praying than you do by tapping into your checkbook, than you do by tapping into your, you know, just people you know and your influence and your experience and your knowledge. If God is God and He is, that when we say, God, I believe you, and I get to come boldly before the throne of grace, and God hears and answers my prayer, that becomes powerful. And that's why the Bible calls us to do this. He over and over will call us, like He does in the book of James, that we ought to be praying for each other. That is true. Every one of us should do that, that there ought to be a sense that we do that. In fact, I found myself thinking about John here praying for Gaius and was thinking through a number of the prayers in Scripture. Let me just give you part of one found in Colossians. It's longer, but just the beginning. Paul says it this way. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So it's a great place where we're praying, but one of the interesting things about this is Paul lets us know later in the book of Colossians, he'd never even met him. He's never been to Colossae yet. He writes and says, no, you haven't even seen my face, but he heard about them. He heard about what God was doing there, and it captured his heart, captured his heart, and he says, since the moment I heard about it, I've been praying for you. I heard what God was doing in, in your city. I heard what God was doing in your church, and I've been praying about that since I've heard about it. What a good example. What a good example it is to be that, to say, okay, that John here in this letter is loving them, he's praying for them, and without doubt, there's a sense of encouragement, exhortation that we could do that. And I know I'm saying the most basics of things, but I want to just say it again very clearly. That is never going to be cut off from us. There are things that can be cut off from you. And again, we're talking about growing older, so let's just be honest. Growing older is hard, and there are spaces that there will be things that you are no longer able to do. There will be things that you will say, hey, I could do that when I was younger. I cannot do it now. There will be things that you will no longer be capable of accomplishing, but this is not one of them. This, this is yours. And, and, and instead of it sounding trite or small, it's the most powerful thing you could do. That you would say, okay, you know what? I want to be a person of prayer. I'd like to be a person of prayer today. And if God gives me 50 more years, you know, not going to give me 50 more years probably, but, but if he gave us that long, he's like, hey, I would like to find all of those days praying. I'd like to be like, he's a, he's a man who prays. He's a woman that prays. I mean, that's what John is giving us this picture of, this godly older man who is loving this, this group of people. He is praying for them. But let's also just note, he's writing to them. So think about it this way. You're getting to study the book of 3 John with me. And I want to just tell you, it's fun to kind of think it through. But one of the interesting dynamics about this book, this shortest book in the New Testament, again, is it's one of only two personal letters found in the New Testament. It's one of only two. Uh, we have Philemon that Paul writes, and we have 3 John. Now, again, for some of you Bible students, you're thinking it through for a moment, so let's just walk it through. So 1 John and 2 John, they're not personal letters. Uh, 1 John is a letter to the church, and, and he's writing in the midst of that. 2 John, we just finished covering, is probably a letter to a persecuted church. Again, not to a single individual. So again, it's kind of a corporate thing. Uh, then we have the pastoral letters. So we have First and Second Timothy and Titus, and they kind of are addressed to individuals, but they're pretty clear that they're addressed to a church. That's why we know them as the pastoral letters. So they're not really a personal letter, but there are personal letters. The book of Philemon is a personal letter. 
and the book of 3 John is a personal letter. And I want you just to pause and think about that for a moment, that the Holy Spirit in just writing out the New Testament for us and giving that to us gave two of 27 books in the New Testament to be letters, a letter that John sat down to write to a single person to make a difference, to speak into that moment. Would there not be something that just because they're there would speak into our lives? I mean, John does this. We know he writes other letters. In fact, he talks about it down there in verse 9. He says it this way, just kind of reading it. He says, I wrote to the church by Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Again, we'll talk about him later, but it's just worth noting, he'd written other letters. He had been kind of being in the midst of this, and there are this space where we would say, I want to be that. Now, I'm going to touch on something that we'll probably talk about every week that we're in Third John, so I hope it becomes more clear. But one of the things I want you to understand is the thing that he's going to write about is what God was doing in that moment and very specifically encouraging just the the missions, the work of Christ going forward into the world, uh, the work of of seeing that be a part of it. And we're going to talk a lot about that in the next uh, number of weeks if God gives us to that, this space where we would say, okay, there's part of this uh, that is to say, I want to be be a part of what God is doing today. I want to be a part of seeing that move forward in our world today. And that's going to be a big part of of a lot of things that we talk about. But again, I just pause to say, he does. I mean, he does. I mean, like, this is John. I mean, he could have been like, you know what? This is other people's business now. I mean, there were days, you know, I, I did my Sunday school days. I did my whatever they were. I'm older now. I don't have to do. No, he's like, I'm still engaged. He's still being a godly influence. And I would just like to take a moment and hold that out to you. And just tell you, wonder what that would look like for you. Again, again, maybe you're getting older, maybe you're not. But again, that can be part of your world now where you can say, okay, I don't get to speak to a thousand people. I, I, I might have, not have a you know, group, but what if I could speak to one? What if there's one person that I can encourage? What if I need to write them an actual letter or an email or a text? What if, what if there's one person that I would say, I'd like to encourage you in what God is doing today. I'd like to be a part of that today. And there's a space that somehow all by its place that should be there. And then to say, I'd like to be a part of that the rest of my life. I, I would like to be one that wherever that is, I would be a, a godly influence. And, and that, that is loving what God is doing now. That is praying for it. That's maybe even writing, maybe even you know, doing that. Again, just holding it out as an example But there's even more, because one of the things that John does for us is he doesn't just do that, he is longing to meet with them. And this is why you hear his heart, because it's kind of fun just to think this through. So he's writing this letter, and again, you got to just picture this older guy, like he's in his 80s, maybe 90s, and he's, you know, trying to be involved in what God is doing this right now. And so you get this back in verse 3, he says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. Again, really cool stories because they're bringing it back. I just want you to watch it happen. I mean, just in some imagination of your mind, there he is. John's there, and somebody just comes to tell him, hey, I want to tell you what God is doing. I want to tell you what he's doing over here in this church or in this city, and, and John hears the news. He's just, he, but he's receiving it. He's excited to, to be a part of that, and he wants to be a part of that. So much so, he hears about the problems that are there. He, he's hoping to come and deal with it there in verse 10. Therefore... If I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And he goes on to talk about what he's going to do. But I just want you to notice, I was like, I'm going to come and deal with that. 
Like, I, you know, let me at him, you know, kind of feel like I'm kind of like, I, I hope God will give me the opportunity to come over and, and talk to this person who's doing it wrong. Like, I'd like to be involved in that. And he ends his letter with really a desire for that. Verse 13, I had many things to write, but I did not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. P- greet the, the friends by name. Just like, I, I, I don't want to write this long. I want to see you face to face. Like, I would like to be, I'm hoping for that space where I could come in and be a, a word of encouragement and, and, and space in the midst of that. John is still doing that. He is still, at this moment, watching this. He is still you know, involved. He's still connecting. He's still seeking to encourage. And I would like to hold this out to you for a moment. I would like to hold this example out. Now, I think about this, and I think about one of the most, you know, verses that's been big, you know, kind of discussed in these matters in the last two years within uh, the church communities, and I hold it out there in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's a really, really cool verse, but kind of catches, we know, one of the nuggets. He says, hey, don't be those who are giving up on this. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is kind of the idea of being together as the body of Christ, of gathering together as the church. He says, some are going to be doing that. Some are going to be doing it. In fact, he seems to articulate this is going to get worse in the last days. It does feel that. He says, don't do that. Don't be one who goes on that, that world, which is a good space for us to encourage, but please don't miss the weight of it. Don't miss you know, the entirety of the verse. Go back to the beginning of it. He says, here's this, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. He says, here's what I'd like you to do. I want to make sure you're thinking about each other. I want to make sure you as the body of Christ, you are thinking about each other and, and you're connecting in that because you want to be one who is exhorting one another. That's the invitation for all of our lives. Now, I want to say this as clear as I can. And let me just do this. So I know this. I'm talking to some of you who are joining us online right now. And let's be really clear. You haven't been able to to come for a while. And I want to say, hey, we are in no way speaking condemnation for that because this is just not true. Some of you physically aren't able to be here and, and be in our presence. And there's in no way a condemnation to that. But there's an invitation that we would be those who are still a part of what God is doing. And that can be true for those who are having to connect with us online, as well as for every person here. Because see, the danger is, you might think that because you came to church this morning, that you're doing this verse. But you might not. Honestly, you might be so caught up with yourself, in your own pride and selfishness, all you can think about is you. And this morning you came, and you're thinking, I don't know if I like the songs they picked. It wasn't my favorite song. Maybe it was my favorite song. I don't know if I like the passage. I don't know if I want to do Third John. Uh, I don't know if I like these people. I mean, you, you, but you're just all about you. But he said, here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to think about each other and think, is there somebody that I could bless today? I'd like to be a blessing. I'd like to be a blessing. I'd like to encourage somebody. I want to think about them and then I want to encourage them. Now, that's what we're supposed to do here. And again, if you're connecting with us online and unable to be here, you can still do this. And I know that some of you do. Some of you, is exactly what you do. You spend your days on the phone and writing you know, emails and stuff. It's like, hey, I want to encourage somebody. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to be in the midst of it until the day that Jesus takes me home. That's what this is encouraging. 
And the danger is that not only are some not coming in present, but some people are just sitting. And the point of this is to be involved in what is taking place. And so can we think about it this way? I mean, I say this in the most simple way that is just reiterating things that we, reiterating things that we already know. If you're alive and you're breathing, then God is not done with you yet. If you're alive and breathing, can I say it in a childlike way? He's not done. He's not done. Like, you still have a reason to live. You still have, have something to give. And, and even if, like John, you're getting older and unable to do the things that you are, there's still spaces where you can love and pray and encourage and, and be a part of that. And part of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ is to do that. But here's the danger. So we have many. Some, many who aren't even old. Let's just be clear. You're not old, but you still fall into this lie that you kind of think you're just an extra on the set. Like, you know, you're just here to observe other people serving Jesus. You're not actually meant to do anything. You're just kind of filling out the audience, you know, kind of thing, you know, uh, you know, maybe laughing when the laugh track comes on or whatever it is, you know, just, I mean, somehow like, but you don't have any part to play in the story. And that's not true. God says he's given each one of us a gift. He's trying to work through each one of us. And I have a very kind of simplistic mind about that. If you're alive, he's not done. And what a space it would be to say, hey, I want to connect. I want to be a part of it. I, I still want to be seeking to encourage. I still want to be one that would say, hey, whatever, I, I want to be a part of that. And John is doing that. See, the danger is some of us don't believe that. We don't think we're a part of it, and so we're not even trying. And again, part of what happens as people get older, sometimes that's what they begin to believe. They begin to feel obsolete, begin to feel like, you know, you know, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. You know? Like, I'm just coasting until I go home because, like, I'm done. Like, I'm done playing. I mean, there's, I don't have a part to play any longer. And, and, and just as if, like, existing were all that you were meant to do. It is not. It is not. There's a, an intention that we would say, hey, I want this. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And I want to tell you, there's, like, this poster child for this, which is John. I mean, here's this, like, you know, 80s, 90-year-old guy, and he is, you know, riding into this. He is speaking this. We watch all that he's doing. He's loving them. He's praying for them. He's riding. He's seeking to say, I want to see you face to face because I want to encourage what God is doing today. I want to be a part of that. And he holds out to us this picture of a life well-lived, of a life that can be lived. See, I think about that verse that we were talking about just a moment ago, and I like it there in Psalm 92. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. And I don't know if that sounds attractive to you. This sounds really attractive to me. It's like, oh, I like that. See, I want that today. I want to have a life that's making a difference. I want to be fruitful, which Jesus said would be what we can do in him. If we abide in him, we can bear fruit. And I love the idea that that could be a part of my whole life. I love the idea that that could be there. But let's just pause and try to say what we've been saying, and we'll just say it in a different way. You know, there's a journey we're on, and it's a hard journey. Uh, there's a, this age of getting older. If anybody hasn't made it clear to you, that is, that, that's, that's a hard space to walk in. In fact, I think about it this way. God unpacks it for us in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he kind of gives it to us in this wording that Solomon gives us there in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, hey, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. 
He says, before you get there, I mean, that's, that's, that's where this is going. He says, you need to remember Jesus. You need to remember your creator now. Can I just take that for a quick moment and say this? If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it is never going to be easier than it is today to give your life to Jesus. It is never going to be easier. Understand the stats. The stats are that with every given year, less and less people statistically give their lives to Jesus. So the older you get, the more rare it is for people to get saved. Now, God does it. God's an amazing God of grace. And if you came to Christ later in life, you should be like, yay, I broke the statistics. You know, it's like, cool. But also own it. Man, that was, that, that's becoming more rare. It's you know, never easier than it is right now. And if you're holding out for a better day to give your life to Jesus, don't do it because it's never going to be easier. It's only going to be harder. This is the, the, the road that you need. It's a place where you should remember Christ, remember God now, get your life right now because not only as we think about past this life, which we'll talk more about in a moment, but the road that we're on, it's a hard one. Again, I like just the honesty. It says you should remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And the years come. When you say, this isn't fun any longer. I mean, that's what he said. He's like, this is not as fun as it, you know, life is, it, I have no pleasure in this. This is getting difficult. Life is becoming harder. I mean, it's just a harder space. And then he unpacks it for us in kind of just some uh, poetic ways. He says, in those days that are going to come when the sun and, and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. And he uses some metaphors that probably look upon those days of getting older where we just become less clear. When the sun is not as bright, the moon is not as bright. And he says, you know, there are days where like the sun, the rain comes and like everything's clear and then the clouds come right back. You know, he says, you should remember Christ before those days because it's going to get harder mentally. I mean, again, not trying to be rude, not trying to be mean. I'm just going to tell you part of this whole aging thing is it's like, you know, it's like your brain. It just doesn't work as well. And it's like, also it's like, man, there are these moments where you're like, hey, I remembered everything right now. Oh, it's gone. Uh, just, uh, you know, it's like, it's just like, it's the rain comes, it's really there, and it's like, then I don't even remember anymore. It's just, that's just part of the road we're on. He says, that's the days coming. Those are going to be difficult days. There are going to be days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, kind of referring to the arms and legs. It's going to be the days when, like, those things that were strong are not. And you're like, man, man they're shaking a little bit. Man, they're a little bit kind of moving in the midst of this. There are going to be days when the grinders cease because there are few. Going to lose your teeth kind of deal, you know, kind of falling out. He says, and then you're going to, those who look through the windows grow dim like your eyesight. It's like, you're like, well, I, I saw that. Just a sec, where are my glasses, you know? And, you know, trying to see how this whole thing works. He says, and then the doors uh, are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. I mean, it's like, you can't hear as well. Like, huh, what, what'd you say? But then almost cruelly, you rise at the sound of a bird. It's like, wait, what's up with that? I can't hear anything. And then a bird wakes me up. I mean, like, that is not even fair, you know, kind of in this whole thing. The daughters of music are low. I can't hear as well. He says, you come into this place where you're afraid of height. I mean, it's like, you used to be like, hey, I could know. Like, no, I'm not going to get up by that anymore. Like, that's not me. I shouldn't be there. I, like, I'm, uh, terror's in the way. You know, almond tree blossoms, probably speaking of the hair turning gray. And the grasshoppers are burdened. It's like, man, they're not carrying, you know, horse. And I can't even carry I mean, grass. It's like, I don't know if I want to carry that. That's going to be like, you know, down to tough. You know, desire fails. Life goes there. And you're going to go to your eternal home as mourners go about the street. So, again, I lay this before you. And, again, kind of just trying to be a little bit honest with you. I mean, I think maybe you know this. But let's just be clear. This is your road. This is not like, well, some people are going to go down that road. I'm glad it's not going to be. Really? I mean, do you really? I mean, this is the road that you're on. This is the road you're on. Now, here's the good news. 
If you know Jesus, it's not the end of the story. If you know Jesus, we look past that to a place where he's going to take us into heaven and we're going to have brand new bodies and there's going to be no more pain and there's going to be no more suffering. That's good to know. That's really, really good to know. That's great to own. But it doesn't make it so you haven't thought this thing through. And, and maybe you have. Maybe I'm telling you stuff and you're like, yeah, I know that's the road. I know that's the road. I know that as I watch this, that is where this thing goes. But if it hasn't, you ought to process it through to think, okay, so how am I going to do that? How am I going to walk this road? See, I, I hold out to you, this a promise again that he's telling us that it, you could still bear fruit into old age. You could still be fresh and flourishing. Like those days don't have to be controlled by that. I think, I love the way Paul described it in 2 Corinthians. I should have put that verse on the screen. I didn't, but I'll just kind of give it to you where he says, you know, our outward man is perishing, but our inward man, is being renewed day by day. It's like our physically, yeah, that's the road my body's on, but it doesn't have to be the life of my, uh, of my spirit and soul. Like that can be refreshed. I can still be living with Jesus, walking with Jesus, which is exactly what he's crying out for. He says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they're gonna flourish. That's what you need. That's what every one of us needs today. The only way to flourish for anyone, whether you're young or you're old, is to be planted in God's presence, to be rooted in Christ, to find your life in Him. But I'm just holding out to you, it can be the rest of your life. It, it can be. It doesn't have to be this place where that is no longer the journey that you're on, but it ought to be that which you do with intention. It ought to be that where you say, that's gonna be the person I wanna grow up to be. Like, that's the way this thing is gonna play out in my life. That John would hold out to you, and I just think it's there. I think part of the purpose of, of Third John is to give us some just quick snapshots of people, and you get to see John. And I don't know if it is attractive to you like it is to me. I look at John and go, I wanna be like that. Like, that's, my, that's what I want my life to look like. I, I, I have other pictures uh, of things that I know people who have not done it well. And I don't mean that with any condemnation, but I think some of you do as well. You've watched some people grow old, and you're like, oh, I don't want to grow old like that. I don't want to be bitter and angry and uh, just a burden and selfish. And there's so many things that can, be, can, can go that direction. It's a better way to say, I want to do this well. And I could still be a part of the body of Christ every day of my life. I can still bear fruit. I, I don't have to live a life that isn't there. I can have that all the days of my life, and I simply call you to that. So take your Bibles. You can close them, notebooks, and let's go before God uh, together in prayer. Let's just ask that he would take the things that we've talked about this morning and meet us. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. I want to come back and say it one more time. Hey, it's never going to be easier than it is now. It is never going to be easier than it is now. But can I just even tell you further? Life is hard. Growing older is not a lot of fun. It's got a lot of weights and problems with it. But if you don't know Jesus, the after is worse. Hell is worse than life will ever be. Hell is worse than anything that could be there. Your road is a horrible road. And we invite you today to come to Jesus. It doesn't rescue you from getting older. It doesn't rescue you from some of the problems that are here. But it takes us to a hope of heaven and a place that's there. And if you don't know Jesus today, it's never going to be easier than it is today to get right with Jesus, ever. Get right with him now. Get right with him now. But if you know him, again, young, old, there ought to be a space that you should look at this and say, I want this. 
Again, some of you, you know, it needs to be a detour. It needs to be some changes that takes place. And let God change them. Some of you are doing well. Like this already, you're kind of a model of this already. Good, keep doing it. See, I mean, I want that to be my days. I want that to be me. That, that, that I'm loving and praying and writing and meeting, that I'm still a part of what God is doing today because I'm still alive. And, and if I have, you know, I still have a point and still have a purpose. Believe that. Step into it today. So you take a quiet moment. You talk to God. I'll do the same. Quietly in this space, whatever that landed, just let it land in your heart. Ask him for help. I'll do the same. And we'll close in worship in just a moment. got to think again about what you tell us in your word. You tell us there in Corinthians that this old man, this physical body, it is dying. It's on a certain course that is true for every single one of us here. That's the road we're on. That's the road we're on. But you said the inward man could be renewed day by day. I believe that and I hold it before you. I hold you that promise that you tell us there in Psalm 92 that even in old age, we could still be fruitful. There could still be a freshness. There could still be a flourishing of our lives. God, I thank you that that's possible. I thank you for the good example that John is to us as he writes this letter. I pray his example lands. Lands for us that we would look at that and say, that's my spiritual retirement plan. That's how I want to grow old. And there's no way to get there but start now in growing in godliness and and love and prayer and connection. I wanted to be a part of who I am now and for every day of my life as long as you give it to me. God, would you work that in us? Would you make us such a people? A people who are fresh and flourishing. A people who are still bearing fruit, still a part of what you're doing. Help, Lord. Pray for more of that in that your strength today as we just ask you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God draw you. May he encourage you. May he build you up and all that that is. May it be a space that he works in that. If you have questions about Jesus, hey, we're here. Come up and talk to us afterwards. Love to be a part of that. Other questions, same place. Give us a place in that. We'd love that. But right now, let's worship him. Would you stand? Let's make God our focus. Let's just celebrate him as the, the one who is this, who can bring us into life that is fresh and flourishing today. This place of abiding in Christ that is available to every one of you today. May he draw us there. In that, I just want to bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.